0: To 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can download one, right? Um, we all have smartphones and that's a thing, right? And so you can do that, or you can grab one off of the table uh, in the back. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. We love God's Word, so feel free to grab one of those and take it, um, and take it with you. Uh, hey, first off, like incredible week last week on vacation. Um yeah, I think most of you guys, many of you guys probably knew that we were away, um, and it's awesome to uh, work with just a group of leaders here at Christ the King to where you can step away and legitimately, like, totally unplug, and you just kind of know, like, yeah, if there's a big issue, like, um, like God is sovereign, and they'll figure it out, right? And so um, that, was, that was great. Courtney and I uh, listened to a podcast on the way to the beach, um, last week after service about, um, I guess, like, our, our, our phones, right, and, like, the grip that they have on us so oftentimes, engaging uh, via social media, uh, it's more um, accessible, like, more people are more accessible now than they have ever been, right, um, given the technological advances, and um, so we're listening on the way down, and, uh, yeah, I, like, just immediately tried to put that into practice, and so, um you, uh, as they said in the, the podcast, which we may share this at some point because it was really really helpful. I think that we would all do well to listen to it. Um, when you unplug for a week, you realize um, that you're not as important as you think you are, right? Um, because the world continues to spin despite the fact that you're kind of like out of touch, right? Um, and so that's good. Uh, that was that was uh, that was helpful, and then also just made for a great week of uh, rest. I was telling. Um, Ms. Karen, uh, I didn't realize how tired I was, I don't think. Like, we've been going, like, pretty nonstop um, over the past year and a half. And so it was just really helpful to just be able to get away and just to... Um, be with my family and to be in God's Word and just be fed there, It's just really awesome. And so for all of you guys that worked last week, I'm sorry, right? um, I'm sorry you're like, yeah, a Week at the Beach does sound really great, you know? Um, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. Uh, it's a great week, and it's great to be back um, with all of you guys as well. Um, we're into Timothy chapter 2 this morning, and we have... Um, a quite ambitious goal of tackling the entire chapter. Now, I will preface by saying this, um, that there is um, no way for me, like I recognize my weaknesses, okay, and one of those weaknesses is that I talk a lot, okay, and so, um, and you all know that, right, I'm not telling you anything that you do not already know, um, and so there is no way that I'm going to be able to do um do total justice to this entire passage this morning. And so, what we're going to try to do is we as we seek to stick to this one chapter a week. Uh, we're redeeming it now, right? Because week one, I puncted that, and we had a second part. Um, we're going to try to stick to that now. And so, um, there's going to be one big idea that we're going to be that we're going to be hanging on one um, one primary. Um, observation that we're going, to, we're going to be focusing on from 2 Timothy chapter 2. But before we go there, um, it is helpful to always consider what we are observing on a book level. Um, what we observe on a, on a book level as we work our way through um, any book, through through any passage of any book, any letter, um, it's helpful for us to consider what the big picture is. And so we've mentioned this the past two weeks, and we'll do it this week and we'll do it next week as well. On a book level in 2 Timothy, we are observing... Um, Paul's call to remain faithful in the face of difficulty, opposition, and error. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this difficulty um, this morning and where that comes from. Uh, the encouragement, though, however, is to remain faithful in ministry. Right? Paul to Timothy. Timothy, remain faithful in ministry. Right, Paul to Timothy. Timothy, remain faithful to the message of the gospel. Paul to Timothy, remain faithful to sound doctrine and faithful to Christian fellowship. Paul's call to Timothy is God's call to each and every one of us this morning. And so um, we revisit that for the purpose of being reminded what we are observing from a 30,000-foot perspective as we work our way through this book. Now, over the past two weeks, we've discussed Paul's emphasis on gospel-centered community, right endurance in mission, a confidence in Christ, and a love of the truth. You can go back and you can listen to the previous two weeks' podcasts if you happen to miss any of those. This morning, one primary consideration from 2 Timothy chapter 2. One primary consideration from 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. The costly nature of discipleship and the faithfulness of Christ. This is what we're going to be observing. The costly nature of discipleship and the faithfulness of of Christ. Big picture. That's where we are are going. The call is is really simple in terms of our ability to understand it. Now, and as in all things, application is what so often gets us. It's not challenging to understand what Paul has to say to Timothy here concerning the costly nature of discipleship and the faithfulness of Christ. The call is Timothy commit your life to Christ and the plan of God to rescue sinners despite the suffering that will result. Let me say that one more time. All right here's the here's the call. Every week we kind of land at the end on this like point of application, right? This week I'm giving you that now so that we can work towards a deeper understanding, establishing that idea, the call, the application, the action at the end. And so so let's see on this passage in light of this statement. The call is to for Timothy, from Paul, commit your life to Christ and the plan of God to rescue sinners despite the suffering that will result. And so let's look at verse 1 uh, and 2, and let's begin here, right? It's always helpful to begin in the beginning, and so we will um, do that. In verse 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now that's going to prove to be really important. I'll hang on to that statement for just a moment. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And trust these things. And right? trust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we've established the call on a book level and a chapter level. And now we look at it on a verse level. The call of Paul begins... With Timothy and the elders in Ephesus. This is where Paul starts the call that begins with these men, right? Before extending out, forming a pattern of multiplication within this disciple making model entrusted by Christ that has been shown to produce disciple making movements. And so we said two really important statements there that sounded pretty similar and so I want us to go back and I want us to revisit those for just a moment. We see this pattern of multiplication within this disciple making model. That's what we see Paul laying out here in verses one and two, this model for making disciples. It's instituted ultimately by Christ. We'll look back at that in just a moment that has been shown to produce disciple-making movements. And so we're, two two ideas, disciple-making model instituted by Christ that gives way or birth to disciple-making movements. Okay? Two ideas, disciple-making model instituted by Christ that gives way and produces disciple-making movements. There's a very real sense in which what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning provides pattern and conviction for Discipleship within Christ's church, including this church. Paul starts with Timothy, this elder here in Ephesus, the one entrusted to bring order to this church. Paul says, Timothy, it begins with you. As we discuss discipleship and the difficulty of discipleship, the nature of discipleship, understand that it begins with you. It begins with The leadership, have you ever heard this statement before, that a fish stinks from the head, right? A fish stinks from the head, and therefore there's this encouragement from Paul to Timothy, the elder, right? Who is bringing up and raising up other elders within the church to buy into this model of discipleship. There's a very real sense in which discipleship here at Christ the King begins with the elders, or we talk about discipleship, we talk about living mission. These are ideas that we lay out week after week after week. Why do we do that? Well, because there's a huge emphasis on that, right? Like, we are, we are sold out. Like, we are bought in to this concept, right? And so, there's a very real sense that in the same way that Paul here gives this instruction to Timothy that then flows down into other elders in Ephesus, that here, in the context of this local church, it begins with myself, is the elder here at Christ the King, and Pastor Neil Aubrey, who serves as our external elder here at Christ the King. My desire, our desire, is to follow Christ. Okay? you Everybody clear with that? My desire as, as the pastor of this church is to follow Christ, and in doing so, to display certain patterns. Right? Patterns that are informed by Scripture and conviction— from Scripture, right, and in an effort to serve you, right, in an effort to serve Christ, in an effort to lead you towards these same patterns and convictions, shaping the way that you go about living Christian mission. There's an intentionality, right? There has to be. Paul is emphasizing to Timothy the importance of intentionality when it comes to making disciples. Now, we're seeing in all of this in just a moment the difficult nature of making disciples. Disciples, And so know that that's out there. Know that it's on the horizon. And we're going to get to this point in which we understand discipleship to be very difficult. But we have to begin with this concept, right? That discipleship is uh, an institution, right, from Christ, desirable for his people, beginning, as we observe here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, with the leadership. In verse 1, we see that the grace of Christ provides strength for this incredibly extensive, and at times, intrusive task of making disciples. In verse 2, we see the natural multiplication that takes place as a result of a commitment to making disciples. Right, if we, as God's people, right, as we observe here, our hearts are transformed and we are brought on board with the plan and purpose of God to make disciples of all nations. As we begin there, we come into this, we understand that there is a natural pattern of multiplication that takes place. If we look just at verses 1 and 2, we see that there are four spiritual generations impacted by this model that Paul presents. Do you need convincing? Allow me to show you. It begins with Paul to Timothy, right? Paul oftentimes refers to Timothy as his child in the faith, right? There is this understanding from our positions that Paul has discipled Timothy, and he continues to do so by way of this letter. And so there's your first generation, Paul to Timothy, okay? And then you have the instruction of verse 2, that is, from Paul to Timothy, that Timothy would entrust what he has heard to faithful men. Right? And so you've got Paul, and then you've got Timothy, and then you have faithful men. It only doesn't stop there. You've got faithful men who are able to teach others also. Right? So you've got Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and then those discipled by faithful men. It goes on down the line again and again and again. We see a very natural Matthew chapter 28 model here. Right? Four... Spiritual generations, investing in growth and maturity of others, desiring, ultimately, what's our goal of discipleship, in discipleship? What is the goal? Well, it's conformity into the image of Jesus. That is our desire, that each and every one of us, this is God's desire, and therefore it is my desire, it's our desire, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And so what does this look like? Well, it looks like disciples, discipling others, to disciple others who disciple others. Now it sounded a bit confusing, right? You've got, uh, you got individuals, right, disciples who are discipling others, who are discipling others, who are discipling others, right? If this were a cartoon, I would be drawing in the air right now, and there would be bubbles, so it would be really incredible, you guys would really enjoy that. Disciples discipling others who disciple others who disciple others, right? Those committed to entrust the teaching of Jesus and what it looks like to live this out, and that's really important, I'm going to unpack that in just a moment, with another who will then entrust the teaching of Jesus and what it looks like to live this out to another in real life relationships. So let's talk a little bit about what discipleship looks like for just a moment. Because again, we are, we're working from this idea, right, that discipleship is oftentimes difficult. And from what we will observe in just a few moments, even brings about and produces suffering in the lives of God's people. When we talk about discipleship, we can say this. And we're talking about life-on-life stuff here, right? That's a, kind of a, a term that we're somewhat familiar with, right? Like doing life together. It's not always easy, right? Like doing life with other people, like making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, is not always easy, but I'll say this that it's not that complicated either. Right? It's challenging. Right? We, we talked in the beginning about how it's oftentimes um, the implication right, that gets us. Right? Like, but understanding what, what is being presented here, what Jesus again and again models and presents, is not challenging. Sharing and showing as we make disciples. Right? Sharing and showing as we make disciples. Here's what this looks like. What does Jesus say about, for example, being a man? What does God's word say about being a man? Now that's one aspect of discipleship. This discipleship that produces suffering in the life of disciple leads and disciplers, right? What does it look like to be a man? Let's go and let's observe what the scriptures have to say about being a man of God. Living your life as a man, right? Submitted to the rhythms of Scripture as opposed to the rhythms of culture. That's something that we talk a lot about. We want to go back to the scriptures. We want to say, what do you say, God, about being a man, and about being a woman, about being faithful, about being a husband, about being a wife, about making disciples? What do you have to say about that? And so that's one aspect of disciple making, isn't it? We sit down and we go, okay, let's read the scriptures together. My DNA group. I've enjoyed each week time together with Seth and Matt in our DNA group, reading through 1 Peter. It's been incredibly encouraging. We're just reading through and we're seeing what God has to say to his people and how that then informs the way that we live our lives. Only it doesn't stop there. Discipleship doesn't end there, right? Because we, we've added an element here. We're talking about sharing and showing. So this is what Jesus says. This is what God says about what it looks like to live the Christian life in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. In this area. But it doesn't stop there, right? And this is kind of where the intrusive part comes in that we'll talk a little bit more about in just a few minutes. But it's, okay, what does it look like to, as a man, for example, go and buy lumber from Home Depot, right? Like, what does it look like to be a man, right, and to work a job, right, to provide for your family? Right to live self-sacrificially. What does it look like to play board games as a man? Right. What does it look like to be a friend? To embrace biblical friendship as a man. Right. It is both. What does Jesus have to say about this? And then what does it look like to live this out? That's where we get to this whole. Hey, it's not easy, but it's not that complicated either. We oftentimes, and I'm as guilty as as anyone of doing this, make discipleship really really challenging when it doesn't necessarily have to be? Right? What does God's Word say? And then, let's step back into the world and show what it looks like to live this out practically, to do practical things. right? Christians who buy lumber. That's a novel concept, isn't it? Right? Christians who play board games. Christians who love their spouses. right? And, and discipline and disciple their children. who who lean into culture without being totally transformed by culture, communicating to culture the hope of Christ and the gospel. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. It is extensive. From time to time, it is intrusive. But we worship a God who is oftentimes intrusive on our lives. And so we want to be totally cool in entering into that. You don't want to talk about these particular areas of your life and sin that you're struggling with. Well, here's what we're going to do. Right? Like, we're going to come into one another's lives with, with shovels and like pickaxes, mining hats, and we're just going to work away. Right? Like we're going to enter into the messiness of of the human existence right and and life in light of, of a fallen world right in a in a redeemed and being redeemed creation right what does this look like this is what we are are talking about here right there are a ton of natural connections between the discipleship and physical exertion right training um they're, they're actually endless. This past week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I should say, you guys are trying to figure out the timeline here. A couple of weeks ago, I told you guys that fanning the flame consists of reading a lot, right? And so I spent a lot of vacation reading different blogs and, and books, doing some writing, not really like anything super important, just like notes in the margins, right? And those of you who have seen my library understand what I'm talking about, about there. Um, one thing that we can say is that when it relates, as it relates to discipleship and physical exertion, there are, there are many who leverage this illustration to communicate points pertaining to the Christian life. And I came across one this past week in light of this passage that talks about um, the connection between discipleship and physical training and exertion. And so I want to summarize just a few points for you, if that's okay. I would encourage you, write these down, um, and consider them later on. I think that they'll be really helpful. Paul does it naturally for us in just a moment, and so I think this will set our mind on a proper course. Discipleship, much like physical training, requires assessment. So when we talk about living, um, living a, a disciple-making life, right, being discipled, we must understand that a part of that, much like physical training, requires assessment, right? When you, you enter the gym and you, perhaps you've been working out with a personal trainer, they're going to see what you can do as your beginning. Right? Like let's let's know where we are so that we can better understand how to get where we are going. And so there's this assessment aspect of discipleship. Discipleship, much like physical training, requires assessment. Where are we? Right? And at this point, we're all doing personal inventory. We're saying, Where am I? Like, where am I on this on this spectrum of the redeemed life or human existence? Like, am I am I in fellowship with God by way of the sacrifice of Christ, or am I on this end of the perspective? Am I constantly working to try to establish and, and and to make right and reconcile myself to God by way of my righteous deeds or my trying harder? Where am I here, right? We need to understand that so we can better understand where we are going. Discipleship requires a plan. How are we to grow in godliness and grace, right? We consider these things. Discipleship calls for imitation. I love this. This is so good. We, as those being discipled, observe one who does this well. Pursuing Jesus and practicing the disciplines, living in community, willing to enter into isolation. These types of individuals are observed and then they are mimicked. And so as we consider, again, we're just talking about what does it look like to, to, to buy into verses 1 and 2. Disciple making. And the suffering that it will undoubtedly produce in our life. Who are we imitating? We imitate first Christ and we are grateful for his gift of grace and, and the lives of the saints. that we might look to others who, who practically live out making disciples well and we go, okay, that's what that looks like. Right? like I, I want to emulate this in my life. Here's an aspect of, of discipleship that I don't do so well, but I observe this individual doing really well and so I want to bring that into my life. I want to begin living this out and incorporating it. Discipleship, much like personal training, looks for weaknesses. Not so much in certain muscle groups, but in knowledge and character. And so as we disciple one another, as we gospel one another, as we enter into the discipleship process, we do say um, to others, Hey, if you observe glaring weaknesses in me for the sake of the glory of Christ, bring that to my attention. Right? So that these areas might be refined in my life. And 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 I'm giving you the same freedom to do that for me. If you observe this in my life, yes, I'll do it for you, and you do it for me as well. We've got just three more, and I'm not going to expound as much on these. But, discipleship thrives in encouragement. Discipleship thrives in encouragement. Discipleship measures Progress. Where are we? Where are they now? What has God done in power and grace? And how are we, how am I acknowledging that before God and his people? The discipleship measures progress. We talk a lot about this here. Um, on the other side of that board, you'll see a line of, of moving to the right. All right. What is the progress? Right, we understand that the goal, ultimately, at the other end, is conformity into the image of Jesus. But man, we are not there yet, are we? Right? And so what does this next step in, in holiness look like for you and I? What does it look like in the lives of others? We see that a major component of discipleship is in accountability. It is with verses 1 and 2 as the backdrop that we shift into verses 3 through 7. You say, wait a second, you just spent a ton of time talking about two verses. How are these two verses that important as it pertains to what Paul is saying big picture here in chapter 2. Well, his encouragement to Timothy is to verse 3 share in suffering. To share in suffering. Right? A, a call that Paul pens to Timothy as he finds himself under Roman imprisonment experiencing this. Right, and expecting this to be the conclusion of his ministry and the home stretch of his race, just to clarify, Paul is not imprisoned solely because he is a follower of Jesus. All right, Paul is imprisoned because he is a follower of Jesus, committed to seeing more and more people become followers of Jesus. Christ Jesus, the master disciple maker, was nailed to to a cross, Paul, right? the the mentor of, of Timothy, who so faithfully discipled him, would be beheaded for the faith, and now, Timothy, you are to occupy a similar position. Recently, my mind has changed to a certain degree on a few specific points in this letter, and even the character of Timothy. Uh, If you're you're like me, you've probably heard this before, and I've even emphasized this, and there is a degree in which we do want to mention this. Timothy is certainly timid in nature, okay? Timothy has a weak stomach, but I think that I have been guilty before of painting this picture of Timothy, right, that leans into verses 3 through 7 and says, Paul is encouraging Timothy to be strong because Timothy is naturally weak. And I don't know that that is necessarily what Paul is doing here. Not in light of what we see in verses 1 and 2. Paul has been a torchbearer of the faith. And now, as he finds himself under Roman imprisonment, understanding that his race is ebbing to a close, he is, for for lack of a a better picture, passing the baton on to Timothy. There is this awareness. That as my life concludes, right, there is a very real need for faithful men to step into the gap, right, to to fill this role, to move out and forward in boldness and confidence. Why is this such a big deal? Well... um, because it's not so much, Timothy, in your physical weakness, like grit and bear it and be strong, but it's, Timothy, the role that you are transitioning into and that which you will occupy when I leave is one that will undoubtedly produce suffering. And so, rely on the grace of Christ. Like, share in Suffering. Those who desire to see their lives multiplied to the glory of Christ and for the advancement of His kingdom will experience suffering and hardship. Right, discipleship is costly. That's what Paul's saying. Right, discipleship is costly. It's costing me right now my very life. Right, I am imprisoned because of my commitment to this particular track. Paul employs three illustrations to further develop this idea of Christian life, leadership, and discipleship. The first one is in verse 4, the second one is in verse 5, and the third one is in verse 6. He begins with this illustration of a soldier. Timothy, let's be clear. You are not unincorporated. Instead, you are a soldier of Christ. Your goal, Timothy, is service to the instruction of the king and the advancement of his kingdom, a work that you can now joyfully participate in. Jesus has fought for you. Jesus has has fought for you. He's defeated sin upon the cross and laid down his life for you, for sinners. The gospel at work in you now enables a similar Christ-honoring response. We get that. That this this emphasis, I, you, we, we fail constantly to embrace this mentality and desire, don't we? Right? This this idea that, that our lives are being poured out, that they are not our own, but that we are brought with a price, and we are now enlisted into the army of the king, and our lives are driven by his desire and not our preferences. It's not ultimately about what we desire for our lives. It's ultimately about what He desires for our lives. The incredible thing is that God graciously transforms our desires to match His desires. So that we see a molding of these two things. But if ever, and we do constantly find this, right? If we ever find friction or tension between our desires and God's desire, then our desire is to say, we submit our desires and we embrace your desire. Your call for our lives. We serve at the pleasure of our King. And we serve at the pleasure of our King. Do we have any West Wing watchers in here? You guys ever seen a West Wing? Let's catch our breath for a moment, right? It's like there's a million episodes, and so nobody's seen all of them um, because there are so many, you can never finish it, right? But I love there's this line that's constantly repeated in the show in which um, the, those who are employed by the president, no matter what happens, no matter what is, is coming about, they say, right, consistently on a, regular, on a regular basis, we serve, I serve at the pleasure of the president, right? Hey, you want me to do something that I'm not crazy about doing? You know what? Hey, I'm here to serve at the pleasure of the president, right? You don't, you don't say no to the president, right? In the show. And so we say, in in a similar fashion, right? We serve at the pleasure of the king. We don't say no to the king, right? But we desire that our lives would glorify him in a really In a really incredible and real tangible way. This is not a life of leisure, but instead, as we have already seen, one of training and competition. Paul employs this illustration of an athlete. Timothy, you are not to be content with a casual approach to Christ. Don't be content with a casual approach. But lean in. He he speaks of of training, right, as an athlete, according to the rules, not being crowned, verse 5, unless he competes according to that which has been laid out. We cannot be content with a casual approach to service for Christ. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive a perishable wealth, but we are an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I disciple, I discipline, excuse me, my body and keep it under control. At least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. To to follow Christ is to embrace suffering. To to follow Christ and to embrace a life committed to making disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples disciples is to embrace suffering. Like the farmer, Timothy, you labor confident in his faithfulness to yield gain. We get to the illustration of the athlete and we go, okay, how do we continue in this? What does this look like? Where does our trust lie? Well, it it lies with Christ. Right now, suffering in this life compares with what Christ Jesus has already joyfully endured for you. We need to hear that, don't we? Right, that no suffering in this life becomes as a result of living a Christian life, committed to making disciples, compares with what Christ Jesus has already joyfully endured for you. Just sit in that for a second. <laughs> Right? A call to suffering, right? A call to a life of hardship as we make disciples committed to the plan and purposes of our King. Christ Jesus has gone before us. Right? He has gone before us. Therefore, Paul writes in verse 8: Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Listen, death did not defeat Jesus. Okay? Death did not defeat Jesus, and so you have no reason to fear. Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, reigns over all of his creation forever. If you believe that, then what can man do to you? We need to hear that, don't we? Right? What, what can be done to us? If our king conquers death, then what can you do to me? Right? Like, what can you take from me? He possesses all things. He holds all things, including you and I, and in his hand, he does not lose us. We place our complete confidence in him, right, to to work out his plan in redemptive history. Paul continues on, verse 8, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Y'all, this is it, okay? So good. But the word of God is not bound. God's word is not bound. Paul believes this with all that he is. He believes it with, with everything that he has, that God's word is not bound. He writes this to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We're talking about a guy who endured incredible difficulty and hardship as a result of following Jesus. And he was aware of it like from the genesis of his walk with Christ. Right? How much he would suffer for Christ Jesus. Most of the brothers, Paul writes, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold now as a result of it to speak the word without fear. Paul possesses this supernatural confidence in God's Word, right? And in, its, and in its goodness, and in His commitment, in and through the suffering of His people, we know that God is faithful to advance His Word in His kingdom. And so what are we living for, right? And what are we living for? What are we desiring? Is it the advancement of our kingdom, or is it the advancement of His kingdom? All right, in verse ten, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul, Paul has this extreme confidence, right, in, in Christ's providence and God's plan to rescue people. Listen again to what he says. Therefore, verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I don't know who all of those elect are, but I know that they are, and therefore I endure. And the fact that there are an elect uh, signifies some really important truths pertaining to God and our hope in him. God has in himself chosen a people for his glory. Okay? God has in himself chosen a people for his glory. And as a result, there is no question concerning the victory of the gospel. And therefore, Paul can write in verse 10, difficulty, hardship, suffering, imprisonment, death, I can endure all things for the sake of the elect. Why? Well, because Christ's plan is sure, that he is saving a people to the glory of his name. And therefore, I don't know everything, but I'm confident that he does, and therefore I walk into whatever he might have for me, confident that he will transform me and glorify himself in the process. It continues on. Christ Jesus reigns, right? He is alive. God's word is not bound. And God has chosen a people for himself before the foundation of the world. These truths, along with the hope of verses 11 through 13, cement this idea that God's promises prove victorious even through suffering. Even through suffering, your suffering, God's promises are sure. His, his promises are sure. His His plan is sure. Listen to what Paul writes in verse eleven. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Again, death. What? Like, okay, right? Like death. All right. If if we died with Him, then we also live with Him. We are buried in the death of Christ, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. We observe this through the ordinance of baptism, don't we? Or we like to say that, like buried with Christ, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life, right? We are dead. Our preferences ultimately are dead, right? Our desires for our own lives outside of the plan, purposes and will of God are dead, but we desire to walk in his plan. Right? living in submission to his word, desiring his glory. If we endure, we will also reign with him, man, the consecration of all things. That the Lord is making all sad things ultimately untrue. That we are one day to live with him in a recreated earth, absent of sin and suffering. Right? We died to ourselves, but we are made alive with him. And if we are alive with him, then we will also reign. Reign with him. If we deny him, there is great cost, right? He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so, Timothy, verse 14, here it is, Right? is. We've painted this picture of the costly nature of discipleship, that if you are committed to a life of discipleship that looks at all similar to the life that Paul lived, Right, faithfulness of the Christian life, committed to obedience to God's word, that we can now live in, right? There will indeed be suffering. We've seen this painted. And so now we, we step into this next realm, this call to Paul, from Paul to Timothy to remind uh, the, the faithful ones, right? The, the elect, God's people, certain things. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Right, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. From a from a, an overarching 30,000 foot perspective, we see again and again Paul emphasizing a love for truth, proclamation of truth, and rightly handling the word of truth. We see it emphasized again here, truth that is not bound, but that, uh, that, that goes unbound. Right? Verse 16. Avoid irreverent babble. Herb will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Sick. Among them are Ananias and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and as a result, they're upsetting the faith of some. Saying that the resurrection has already happened, your best life now is a total nightmare. Verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands. God's firm foundation stands. Bear this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this particular passage preached. And it's been all about young Timothy fleeing sexual desire. I don't think that is at all what Paul is talking about here. Now, that is certainly true, right? But it's not what he's talking about here. He just got through laying out like this Gettysburg address of swords pertaining to what it looks like to avoid certain things and embrace certain things. Don't live in the foolishness of youthful passions, tendencies to quarrel about words. And as a result, based on what Paul says in verse 14, ruin the hearers. Right, uh, verse sixteen. Avoid irreverent babble, young men. Right, as a relatively young man, okay, like a real struggle for me at times is to embrace irreverent babble, to become caught up in it. Right, I think that's what Paul's talking about here, Timothy. Like, don't be caught up in these things, these youthful things, but instead, flee them. And pursue after instead righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with uh, those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Verse twenty three have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Again, flee these things. Verse twenty two. You know that they breed quarrels. And as a servant, uh, and as the Lord's servant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Right? What does that look like? Well, um, it looks like Timothy not like sledgehammering someone, right? But instead, scalping someone. Okay. Right. Like there is need for correction at times, but but don't beat them to death. Be gentle. God can perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him. To do his will. I want us to to close with just a few comments. Now, I know that there is a lot of meat left on the bone here. We didn't, by any means, exhaust what we can observe in 2 Timothy chapter 2. But we do see that a major point of emphasis is this embracing difficulty and suffering, confident in the faithfulness of Christ. Embrace difficulty and suffering confident in the faithfulness of Christ. God desires from you and I the same thing that Paul desires from Timothy. God desires from you and I the same thing that Paul desires from Timothy, a commitment to disciple-making. And what does Paul... Desire for Timothy? Well, a commitment to make disciples. What does God desire from you and I? Well, a commitment to make disciples. We look to Matthew chapter 28 and we see that this is affirmed again and again and again. He goes with his people. He goes before his people in order to accomplish this. Now, this has been a priority in your life. This has been a priority in our lives. Praise God. If this hasn't been, know that it can be. If disciple making, making disciples, if opening your life and submitting to the rhythms of scripture has not been a priority in your life, know that it can be. The Christian life is a life of repentance and reorientation on the things of God and what matters most to him. So, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Instead, let us consider his plan and his purpose in creation to draw people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on this globe to himself. A plan secure in eternity that we have been called into, a plan to glorify. In response to what we observe in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we lay down our lives, and we can do this because Christ Jesus has laid down his life. We train in godliness, confident in the promises of God. We say, yet again, Father, use our ransom lives, as we sang this morning, in any way you choose. Right? Make this our cry. This is our heart's desire. We commit our lives to Christ and His work because He has, before the foundation of the world, committed Himself to us. Hear that again. Right? That, that we commit our lives to Christ. Right? The key. In His work, because He has, before the foundation of the world, committed Himself to us. In order... To live this, we must spend time meditating on the unbound word of God and his promises. In right? and, and his um, little, big book, I say that because it's really small, but it's also like really deep. Um, this guy named Kevin DeYoung, the book is Taking God at His Word. Why the Bible is Noble, Necessary, and Enough, and what it means for you and me. Kevin DeYoung writes the following The most effective means of bolstering our confidence in the Bible, which is which is what we need, right? We need greater confidence in God's Word, is to spend time in the Bible. The most effective means for bolstering our confidence in the Bible is to spend time in the Bible. May God give us ears, for we are in need of hearing the Word of God. We are in need of again and again and again hearing. The word of God. Being reminded of who he is and what he's accomplishing through redemptive history. of His power. And his purpose. We're in need of being reminded so that we might repent of our past sins and look to him in confidence and faith. Living. God glorifying Christ. Honoring lives. Existences. We commit our lives to making disciples. To make disciples. Understanding In light of what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that this will result in hardship in this world. And at the same time, confident because, why? Well, because Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. And so let us corporately remember Christ Jesus. That is Paul's encouragement to Timothy, and that is my encouragement to you. It's been the encouragement that I've been preaching to myself all week. Be reminded of Christ Jesus, victorious over death, and push towards righteousness. God's word is unbound. God's word is unbound. It is not taken captive, but it takes sinful hearts captive and redeems them to the glory and pleasure of our King. That's good news. That's good news. So let's celebrate that as we close out our time this morning. Let's pray.